0: We have arrived, we yep. have arrived Your samples from now. Kirk
1: Cousins had a good year Quavo gets cooking Get off. First and foremost Quinn Ewers, he was listening He listened to last week's show um, I'm, I think I'm the one I'll take credit for lighting the fire under his ass about, about saying maybe we're Looking down the Texas depth chart After that showing out Against Rice, but in, in all honesty, the only time I've ever seen someone lay their nuts on Alabama like that in Tuscaloosa was Joe Burrow, the highest-paid player in NFL history. Quinn Ewers looked every bit of what he's been made out to be the last few years. Um, and, one, and I want to get into this game first. The one thing that's kind of upset me a little bit is people coming after Jalen Milrow and him being the scapegoat for Alabama, uh, these spoiled Alabama fans on Twitter talking about how it's the quarterback, you know, Milrow's not good enough. Dude, I they must not have been watching that same game. Milrow was not the problem. Did he make some bad throws? Yeah. Did, did they turn the ball over a couple times? Yeah. But that takes away from what Texas did. Texas looked like – Alabama, Texas looked like every great Nick Saban team that we've ever seen go dominate other good teams in the trenches, in the secondary, the skill position guys looked bigger, faster, stronger. Eddie Mitchell and Xavier worthy looked like the elite Bama receiving rooms of years past. Like in not to mention worthy dropped a touchdown in the first drive of the game, they settled for three dropped a touchdown right in his hands you think about some of the things that could have made this an even wider margin, Milrow made some great throws downfield. He's an incredible athlete, and I've used this um, sentiment earlier in an earlier episode. He's not the answer, but he's not the problem in Alabama. They got beat by a better team on Saturday.
0: Yeah, they looked bigger, faster, stronger. Um, I think you kind of hit on it like a saving team of, of past. Uh, They looked very good. I was very impressed. Um, I think, you know, whenever we see these, you know, powerhouse SEC teams host a game like that, you really don't think that they're going to stand much of a chance. Uh, I know last year, Quinn Ewers has probably had this one circled for a calendar year, given that he got hurt last year. So it was great to see him ball out. Um, I think he's one of the premier quarterbacks in the game. Um, I mean, Texas has just got to be favored to win out now um, and be a playoff team. So, that's a pretty good feeling for not only uh, the boys, the people of Austin. You know, how many times have we said Texas is back? Uh, let's hold off a little bit this time so we can maybe make sure. But from the looks of it, uh, not only this game, I think that Texas is poised for a playoff run. Um, Bama could still show up there again. Uh, Milro, not the problem at all. Um, I think they just played a better team, and I just don't think they were prepared for that.
2: I will say I did have Texas in my final four in the last episode of splitting gaps, just like you, Beachler, doing your victory lap on Florida State last week. I will. I'm not going to not take credit for my Texas uh, love so far. But, uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, they are poised to go to the playoff now. They're looking great. I mean, I, I don't see anybody in the Big 12, especially how bad some of the teams that you always see up there, like the Oklahoma States and the Baylors have looked so far. There's less of a competition. So I think Texas is, they're going to be right there and they look great too. And I mean, to go back on Bama, the the problem with the team last year is I feel like, yeah, they did have Bryce Young, but the supporting cast wasn't all that great, but they were also really undisciplined. If you remember that Tennessee game, I think they had like 16 penalties or something. And you would think with how good of a coach Saban is, he, uh, that he would get that stuff cleaned up, but then... They get into the next big game they play, 10 penalties against Texas on Saturday. So that, and that, that costs you field position, that costs you games. And it did. It, it Undisciplined football is not national championship football.
1: Yeah. Texas was definitely the more disciplined team, which even, even how that game ended. Fourth down, two score game, but Texas leaves them out there, try to draw them off sides, which works like what? 0.5 percent of the time it worked alabama jumped get the first down and knee it out victory formation sark was going absolutely ballistic on that sideline um saban he seems a little more lax these days he didn't seem you didn't see the blowups, but sark was just going absolutely crazy after that because he knew he just got he just got one over on Saban something yeah, that... so
0: that's now the third assistant to beat Saban um all of which we've seen I want to say the last three years four years maybe I think Kirby Smart was the first one to knock that door down and then uh two seasons ago uh A&M ended up beating Bama but I mean is this it was like 25 and oh almost I mean over 20 and zero against these assistants where you clearly saw um, the young grasshopper was no match for the master, but I don't know what's changing soon or what's coming up. Obviously Georgia's kind of had a their own resurgence and, you know, they're some say the perennial powerhouse in the SEC. And certainly after Bama losing that game, they do seem like the number one team in the SEC almost uh, unanimously. So props to Sark for, you know, getting the boys. He obviously knows the Tuscaloosa environment. It was great to see that. I love it. I mean, we've been talking on this podcast for, I think, three years now for the the parity. The the talent gap is closing. Uh, We're starting to see more conferences start to have those top tier teams that can win it all. That list is growing every year, um, kind of fitting going into a 12 team playoff
1: next year as well. Yeah, I mean, another thing that I guess doesn't matter as much after Texas won but then you see what rice did last week and they were dominating Houston who's been a you know top of their conference for for a while now and ended up finishing pretty close went to overtime but rice rice went out and beat Houston yeah that was not something anyone saw coming so any of the doubts that we had about Texas I know Marty didn't have the same doubts I did but after seeing them against rice and thinking they didn't look great then you see rice might actually have a decent squad and then texas goes in and handles alabama and that's not a word you almost ever hear handling alabama the all the other losses when you you go back to the games that saban actually did lose especially regular season it's just you know miracles in ole miss just you know, stuff you couldn't explain happening. Tip drill touchdowns over the top to, or you know, Johnny football Heisman moments. Laquan Treadwell tip drill touchdowns. You don't outside of Joe Burrow. It's you know, it it's such a rarity. It's it's a it's a such a full moon like solar eclipse type thing when you see Alabama be, being beat at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the
2: ball, and even. So, yeah, I was going to say, and you mentioned Burrow handling them. If I recall, like that game, that was Tua versus Burrow, I think it was. And I think LSU, like you recollect just because of how dominant they were. I think they only won that game by like five. Like it was still a one score. And so, yeah, it, the, you're going back a long time. I don't know when's the last time Alabama's lost by double digits even. Did they, did they lose by double digits last year? Their loss were well, LSU.
1: Clemson, they lost some. Oh yeah, and the the Natties, but regular season, as far as regular, as far as regular seasons concerned, I mean, yeah, you got to do some digging, especially Tuscaloosa. Like they don't play many
0: non-conference games of this caliber, not at a neutral site. Like normally, what you see is it's like, oh, we're gonna play a Mercedes-Benz Super Bowl or Superdome for this game. So that's even a neutral site. Insane for them to really bring their ass into Tuscaloosa and beat Bama. I mean that doesn't happen for a non-SEC team it hardly even happens for an SEC team. So
1: well done to Sark, honestly. It's great to see. It honestly the the what we've kind of been getting at here and the stat I wanted to throw out and we've been talking about is three we most teams have played between two every team has played at least two games some SEC schools have played three at this point pretty decent sample size when you take all the teams into effect and there's a couple of sides to this one none of these teams are scheduling any type of you know competitive out uh, out of conference games and second when they have they're not winning The one SEC ranked win at this point is Ole Miss, and like Marty said, to a backup quarterback of Tulane in a game that Tulane was looking like the better team for a while until he went down. So we're going into week three, one ranked win for the entire SEC conference. The big one, obviously, being Texas beating Alabama. That was one of the few ranked games we've seen so far, and they got handled so it to me it kind of lessens it knowing that these conferences are kind of these other conferences are kind of collapsing as we're getting to a point where maybe there's more just more equality amongst the elites across the country there's there's more diversity in the in where these teams are coming from because like I I mean I don't give a shit about the ACC or the big 12 in terms of, you know, my rooting interests, but when they start taking down the, the top dog, you love to see it. You know, you love, and if whether it's the ACC who's looked very uh, much improved or the PAC 12, who's looked much improved, it's like, damn, well, it we're not going to really be talking about that even because a bunch of the best teams from those conferences that are really showing out this year are going to be in new places next year. Or in two years, or in three years, so it, it's good for the short term. In the long term, it'll it'll you know it'll level itself out because you'll still see the normal powers losing some more games, like Alabama just did. But it won't be from the you know conference versus conference perspective, so to speak.
0: What's been interesting though is almost getting a little insight to that this year, uh, where we've seen teams like Colorado play TCU. They're joining the Big Twelve. They dominated them on the road. Uh, we also had Utah Baylor. Utah squeaked that one out. I guess I did not know Cam Rising was still not playing, but they squeaked that out in Waco and Baylor. They're joining the Big 12. Then ultimately what we've been talking about, Texas coming to Bama. They're going to be joining the SEC next year. You know what? It, it's interesting to kind of – we've been talking about what are these matchups going to look like, and and obviously it's cool to see that. But this was some serious insight to what we're actually going to see on a week-to-week basis, really, here. Uh, Texas is going to get the chance to play a lot better opponents, um, opponents that clearly after this year, it looks like not only can they hang with, uh, but they can beat, um, and that's just going to go for strength the schedule and just make them better down the line. So, again, I want to pump the brakes on the Texas is back thing, but this is probably the, the biggest step for them being back since that national championship year. Um, so it's cool to see though. I love the the realignment next year. It's going to be interesting. I just like seeing these little insight games too. Oh, so that's how it's going to be in the big 12 next year. That's how it's going to be in the sec.
2: Yeah, it should be fun. And I was just thinking like, I hate to even talk about realignment, but, um, I, I wonder if the transfer portal stuff had been implemented a few years before, if there would have been zero, no conference real, it's like, now that, like, you know what I mean. I feel like the Pac-12 would never have dissolved if they had a, a strength of conference like they do this year, or even the ACC with Florida State being. And it's obviously the common denominator is that the transfer portals in, and there's a lot more parity, and teams are Texas is beating the Alabamas, Florida State's beating the LSU's, the things like that, where these conferences are so strong now it seems, and it's the last year that they're going to be together, and everybody's going their separate ways almost, and. If you had uh, strong conferences, I feel like the powerhouses like the Texas's, the Oklahomas would have been like, yeah, I, sh- I show pride in being in the Big Twelve. I will stick around here. We got some good guys. They're USC, UCLA, being like, yeah, we're not going to the Big. You know what I mean? It would it would definitely be interesting to think about if it had been done sooner. But it's if it's an if. So and we are where we are. So it doesn't matter. But. Yeah,
1: that is an interesting point. It's kind of like the last stand here, you know, for the pride of some of these schools. Yeah, it would this have been the case? I would probably say no. If if you had more out of conference schools beating the Alabamas, the LSU's, these kind of games, it would have been more attractive to four and five star, three, four and five star uh prospects who started kind of kind of filtering or funneling into a select group of schools, but clearly the transfer transfer portal has opened up so many new opportunities for kids that, you know, how many, how many times are you watching an Alabama game and some kid gets on the field for the first time and he's a four-star and he's been having to ride pine for most of his college career because he's at Alabama and there's a five-star in front of him. Now that four-star Maybe he transfers to Colorado or he transfers to Florida state. Like those are the schools we've seen those kind of athletes go to and you realize how great they are, but not when, when you make the decision to go to a perennial powerhouse, that's going to be competing for national championships. You incur the risk of not getting on the field very much. I think that's a big part of, of there being some more, you know a, a higher baseline of talent at a lot more programs is kids realizing like i'm going to go play because we can compete because there's more than me that it, i'm not the only one doing it so i mean what what florida state obviously colorado is the the exception because they they just did it at such an outrageous level but like florida state was so active in the transfer portal and they have kids balling out of control and are looking to win a national championship this fast after almost a, a program rebuild a couple years ago. So if this happened five, six years ago, yeah, I would probably say we wouldn't be talking realignment for some time. You know, it, it came up quick because we had, because, you know, your mom and pop podcasts like this one don't even feel the need to talk about PAC 12, the entire conference. Cause there's nothing to talk about. Now you, now we got to talk about every conference and like we, we haven't even talked much big 10 so far because we've had so much with the PAC 12 and so much with the ACC. And normally it's just sec big 10. It's yeah. nice to go coast to coast and have contenders and have studs and have all these guys making, making names for themselves, coaches making names for themselves, programs, making names for themselves from coast to from sea to shining sea, not just the Bible belt, you know? So
0: I think it's on the coaches too. It's like, it's almost like you get that second chance at recruiting a guy when he's a little bit more older, a little more mature. And then there's two ways. It's like, Hey, maybe they were a four star and like learned like a great culture at Bama didn't get on the field, but now they want to go build something somewhere. And you know, that helps. I think it's more so on the coaches though, with how much it helps because Normally what you see is these guys, they got to come in and, you know, you almost got to wait two cycles to get your recruiting class and you're cleaning up the mess. And then, you know, the boosters and everyone's worried. They're like, when now, when now, when now, now it's almost like, Hey, we can move quickly here by getting just one of our classes. in." when well, you've almost seen this exclusively with Florida state, whereas you mentioned Norvella, they were in the shitter. He takes over, boom, it's a class in. Okay. Set a good base. Now everyone's saying, wow, they got potential. I like that culture Norvell's been able to build. You could just build it a little faster. They, then they go out and they get dudes. They get older, more mature people who can come in, easy to transfer, and they want to be a part of a winning culture, Whether no matter the circumstance. And it's just awesome to see these coaches and programs kind of just be able to bust on the scene because it's like, we don't need five years to get the reins going again, you know, to get to that title contending um, kind of sphere that there is. So I, I think it just goes over well from the coaches. And I think the players then recognize that. And, you know, that's what's making this transfer portal thing really churn.
1: It, and and to go back to a point I made earlier, like a, a game that I watched, and it this is not an incredibly noteworthy game, nor will it be, I'd imagine, unless some something freakish happens at Wazoo. But just a game like Washington or Washington State, Wisconsin, right? In, in years past, even if Wisconsin, you know, they haven't been what Wisconsin wants to be f- for for a little bit here. But Pac twelve, Big Ten, right? The the hierarchy has the Big Ten. Night and day over the Pac-12 What we've seen for, for a few years here And Washington State handled Wisconsin Wisconsin had the new look They got the they got the Shiny new head coach and Fickle And They're trying to get back to Big Ten Greatness And then a team that no one even talked about That no one had on their Radar in the Pac-12 Goes in and handles them You know that's a game that you look back on at the end of the season, and you're going through. If you're looking from the lens we're we're speaking through right now, it's like yeah, the Pac-12 is bigger than the Big Ten right now. Like, even you just pull up a random game like that, it's like this Wisconsin. This Wisconsin team was supposed to be new and improved. They got the new coach, the new scheme. They're still the Wisconsin Badgers, right? Massive name, massive brand, and they're playing what was expected to be a bottom half, bottom feeder, Pac- of the Pac-12. Bottom feeder yeah. of the Pac-12. And I think the score was closer than than really a lot of the indicators were in that game. And it's like, well, where does that leave us? If, if the middle to top of the Big
2: Ten is kind the, of getting Wisconsin, washed. Yeah, they were favored to win their division. <laughs> they were the betting favorite to win that side of the Big Ten. Still, and they're losing to a, a Pac 12 bottom feeder. And then
1: the other, That's, and then yeah. an, another school, right, that had higher hopes than they've had in probably 15 plus years Illinois, because they have for the first time in a while some kids that in April are going to get drafted. You know, there are legitimate pro athletes on the Illini sideline and they go in and they get fucking handled by. Kansas and you know I know Kansas had the magical last year and changed a lot of things around and got out from the really just the complete gutter of power five football probably the worst power five program in the country for a while there and they get handled and that that score was not as bad as it really was on the field so I and I'm sure they were probably second or third favorite to win that side of the Big Ten this year too so I always have my, you know, my two cents about the Big Ten and how I, you know, they just, I feel like this happens often, not to the Pac-12 per se, but, like, if this doesn't show you what kind of restructuring we're seeing throughout the country this year, then I don't know what will.
0: Big Ten, they just got their one, two, three. I mean, and they've looked pretty solid. I think you can take away one game from them each where they look like a pretty – solid top 10 for sure, maybe even a top five football team, respectively talking about Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Uh, those matchups are not until the latter half of the season. So this now seeing these Big Ten teams look horrible against other conferences, Nebraska, is that, that going to be a game for any of those? Is, is, is Wisconsin, I mean, I had Ohio State, Wisconsin circled as a possible upset For the Buckeyes, Fickle, Plan, defending Home, you know, are we going to see that? I don't think so. Um, Iowa has looked a little bit decent, I'd say. Um, They had the quarterback situation resolved, and I think their offense is better because now they're scoring more than field goals and safeties against South Dakota State, which is really refreshing to see. But that side is a mess, and every year with the Big Ten, it's – OK, who's going to who's going to win out of these top three teams? You know, it's going to be interesting. I think I realistically think they can all go 11 and one. all those teams. And I don't know what's going to happen. then. tiebreakers come in. But it, it, if that's how you make the playoff, that's kind of it's kind of crazy. So those games are until the latter half of the season. Big 12 or big 10 season might just be on snooze really until until week eight.
2: The, the real measuring stick is going to be in two weeks when Ohio state plays Notre Dame. That's because yeah. the big 10, like you've been saying, or Chuck, you had brought it up first that we haven't talked about them like at all. And the first two weeks, none of them or week zero, week one, I guess you could say none of them played a soul. So it's like, what are we going to bring up? Um, and then now you see Wisconsin go down, you see Illinois go to end like shit like the only teams that are actually playing teams are are dropping like flies and and ohio state is going to be the the big indicator on on the season for the big 10 if they if notre dame beats them and notre dame's at home too so if they beat they're hosting ohio state if they beat them it's like holy fuck dude the big 10 because then it'll come down and it could be especially if notre dame's 11 and one ohio state's 11 and one and if ohio state beats michigan you know, it's like holy shit, like what do we do now? You know what I mean? So yeah. it especially with a down conference, it's gonna be harder to be able to get two and if they cannibalize each other than one in, you know, it's 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 interesting this the year. Pressure's on Ohio State at this yep. point. And I'm it is I guess that might not be the greatest way to put it
1: because normally as the favorite Oh the pressure is on Ohio State, but I, I don't so much mean pressure as in like you need to win. I mean pressure like you got some things to figure out fast because what I saw from Notre Dame this weekend was something that in, in a lot of ways made me incredibly happy, even though there was a lot of things on the field that made me incredibly pissed. What made me inc- like ecstatic was the hopes I have for this team were, they were answered because during Brian Kelly's tenure, we, you know how many games we played like that that we either lost or won by three points? Where it's like, why is our line look so bad? Why, you know, why are we going three and out? Why why can't we pick up yards on first down? Like all these things, these little things, they they don't end. They just, from first to fourth quarter, they don't change. And then we either squeaked it out or we lost to NC State there was so many things that we did wrong against NC state and you take away a last minute uh, garbage time touchdown and we we won by 28 points 28 points and that is something that great teams do those are like the, that was the big difference in and a lot of the the shit that came to Notre Dame was like especially that national championship year 2012 2013 was like the you know last minute Purdue win or you know just struggling against teams that we should have been beating the brakes off of like the Ohio States and the Bama's and the Clemson's of the world they would have you know facets of their game that weren't working you know maybe their run game was off or their secondary was getting beat by uh, inferior wide receiver room but they were still ended up. They were still winning by twenty. You know, that was something that Notre Dame rarely did was still be able to win those types of games big. And I I think that NC State front seven is going to give a lot of ACC teams problems this year because I think they are very good.
2: Yeah, but solid defense. They definitely are a real deal defense. Their offense Brennan is Armstrong, different
1: story, but Brennan Armstrong is a great athlete. He really is. He had, he was like two, two and change yards of carry against us. He had one like 12 yard run on like third and 20 that we kind of gave him. Other than that, he was not able to run the ball. The like, Mark, your, your famous quote from, I think it was season one was Matt Nagy making negative, somehow making negative halftime adjustments. Like Notre Dame has always struggled with adjusting mid game we made so many adjustments that that reared themselves during the game on saturday our secondary was clamping up we were able to keep our our d line was able to adjust and keep armstrong in the pocket and be like yo beat us in the air you can't and he couldn't and offensively i think we punted our first three or four times with the ball it was third it was second and ten and 39, just over and over and over again to start that game. Then we start getting some nice trap concepts and some nice counter concepts going with the O-line. It's like, well, if it's not working straight up the gut, we're going to get a little weird. We'll get some guys pulling. And I'm like, dude, we are looking more like one of the the teams that have been better than us. You know, we we sit right under that tier of of teams normally every year that are elite. We sit right underneath them. It's usually three or four teams, and we're right, right underneath them. The difference between those Notre Dame teams and and the teams that have traditionally been better that mar- that gap is is closing. I think with the way we've looked, and that that makes me think like Ryan. I, I don't want to say the same, you know, the same exact thing about Ryan Day again, but like he's losing some sleep about september 23rd i think he really is i think last year marcus freeman was you know he wasn't supposed to win that game but it's like we can't we can't go out there and get the big breaks blown off us and they didn't they really didn't but this year it's like ryan day okay guys there's some things we need to fix because marvin harrison can do a lot but he can't beat he can't just single-handedly beat someone what time is
0: that game it's game, game
2: day, so it should be late. It is at 630 Central.
0: I mean, that's going to be just what you want if you're if you're an Irish fan. Ohio State coming to town at night game, definitely circled on the calendar, playing good ball, going in, questions about the Buckeyes. It, I, I'm expecting a really great game. Notre Dame has kind of done what I thought they would. Um, I, I love Sam Hartman. That's no secret to any listener of this podcast. And um, I think Chuck kind of went on this this little bit of monologue, if you will, last episode about the great quarterback play and Notre Dame not really having that, and the great teams do having that. I, I think this is it for Notre Dame. I mean, you see the run attack when they need it. Uh, you see Sam Hartman just look phenomenal. So this is the year. Uh, I, I know we had questions about the you know the Clemson game, the Ohio State game, and the USC game all look daunting. Those games are starting to look a little bit more manageable. The Clemson game, certainly. Um, Clemson looks like a fucking joke. Um, as well as this Ohio State game. Ohio State now having to come to South Bend. Notre Dame playing this good of football. That game is starting to look a little bit more manageable. All of a sudden, we're on the cusp of even with a loss to USC. That's an 11-1 and football team who who beat Ohio State, who could still have a chance of winning the Big Ten. So Notre Dame's in a good spot. Um I love seeing them climb the rankings as Sam Hartman hopefully climbs the the Heisman rankings. I'm a proud owner of a Sam Hartman Heisman ticket, so we're going to ride him all the way into New York.
1: Yes, sir. I I own one of those those tickets as well, and it's crazy to watch every week. I'll just peep the ticket on Fanduel, and it's it keeps going like the cash out option keeps going down. I'm like, this is absurd. Like I I get that he doesn't control. You don't really control your own destiny in the Heisman because there can just be someone else that is doing uh, ungodly things. But like, it's been going down like forty cents a week, and I'm all he's doing is throwing for three hundred and four touchdowns. So <laughs> like, I always you know, say it's like he's having it's bad games. Award.
0: It's a team yeah. awards. So they they go down the stretch, and I think that USC game's late. All of a sudden, we look at it. Okay, that's I like Travis Hunter and Shador Sanders. I don't know if Colorado is going to be at that caliber of team. To where they get considered in New York, I think yeah, Caleb, exactly Obviously, yeah, you can't. Itself, but that's where Sam Hartman. Like, okay, this guy is probably going to be going to New York if he keeps playing this consistent of ball. And Notre Dame does what we think they can do.
2: If you want um, a Hartman ticket, you have to make sure you get it in before the Ohio State game because if Notre Dame beats Ohio State, it, it'll cut in half odds uh, wise. His,
0: that could be his Heisman moment
2: at home. Yeah. Fifth year
0: quarterback.
2: With, with still a Heisman moment ahead against the Heisman winner last year.
0: Yeah, and that sets that up for almost maybe a 1-2 in the rankings. And then at that point, how many times have we seen that where it's like, oh, their team won the game. Maybe he wasn't more impressive, but he's definitely going to be considered for that. Same thing happened with Louisville-Clemson a few years ago. Deshaun versus uh, Lamar Jackson. Deshaun ended up winning the game. But yeah. Lamar kind of dazzled it a little bit. And it's like, oh, he did it on this big stage. They're still a really good team. Boom, that solidifies him. That's Sam Hartman's ticket right there. So he's got two games right there to prove it. Um, but, yeah, get those tickets in now. Come on.
2: Yeah, and dude. it just yeah. – I wanted to do one one quick touch, too, on Heisman. Um, for your boy, Beach, dude, McCarthy's looked un- unbelievable. So if, I know they've played some corpses, but, like, looking at the odds he's around you could probably get him around where hartman is or like some of the guys below like the caleb williams is and the jordan Travises, that could, would be my other guy that i would look at if you, if anybody wanted to get a, a midseason heisman ticket and get McC and i don't know when michigan plays penn state you said it was later in the year beach yeah i want to say that, it's
0: like week nine
2: yeah i if if you target i don't know if they have a ranked game at all before but Target a ranked game and see see if he keeps balling out. You could even wait out your ticket. He's not going to move much. And pounce on him if if anybody was looking towards towards Michigan.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I like that, Marty, because what you've seen out of him is a lot of consistency, a lot of high-caliber consistency too. I mean, just his completion percentage is off the charts – and I know they've played UNLV and, you know, Eastern Carolina, but I was sitting at watching the game with a couple of friends and one of them was like, you know, they just don't play exciting football, which is, yeah, I I know. I was like, I completely understand, but especially now this year with that clock just continuously running, they might be really good out of keeping it out of these playmakers hands down the line. If they have to play an FSU and if they have to play a USC or a Texas, a team that can score quickly by just having these juggernaut drives where they just run Corum and Edwards and the line keeps churning and then little completion here, little completion there. Um, I obviously think you'll start to see the playbook open a little bit more as we get down the season. I think that's part of Michigan's benefit is not only with their schedule, but with their play calling here too. They can save some of those plays until a little bit more down the season. I know I've always had beef with Michigan not. They have all these athletes. Why can't they play like Ohio State? Why can't we throw it downfield? Finally got to see some of that in Columbus last year when they beat Ohio State. So I know they can do it. They have the same quarterback back who's certainly playing at a better level. Receiving corps are looking good. So uh, I think, Marty, you're absolutely right. That's a ticket, I think, to nab before um, definitely the midway of the season when they're going to play. Even Michigan State on the road. It's like if you can have a statement game there and throw for – rivalry
2: game, games too, for sure. Rivalry
0: games. So let's get that in before Halloween weekend. I think Hartman and J.J. are definitely the, – the people, the biggest, I think, have the highest ceiling to climb, so to say. I think with people like Jordan Travis and Ewers and, and Caleb Williams, I feel like we kind of have a good idea. It's like, wow, they're going to keep playing this high level of ball – and all of those teams are really poised to, I think, be favored over just about everyone on their remaining schedule. So, right now, it's looking like we could have Armageddon at the end of the season for this four team playoff and actually have three conference champions from maybe even conferences we don't really even normally consider getting in and the ACC, Pac 12, and Big 12, respectively. So, um, fun season, fun season so far.
1: Yeah, Beach, a couple of things. Um, number one, you mentioned Michigan State. Uh, you know, I knew Mel Tucker was a terrible coach, but he might be a more terrible a pervert. Um, yeah, Things, I things are just sure. terrible. Wow. Like the fact that that, the fact, the fact that like it could, that story could have come out of anywhere. The fact that it's Michigan state again is so improbable. Like it really is not, I'm not, you know, cause, cause you can't, you can't, truly believe that they just have a knack for hiring complete sexual deviant perverts. Like you couldn't, you couldn't. And in fact they're on higher guard than anyone else. But we, we don't have to get into that. Like
2: there could be some buyout I was, implications. I was gonna say uh, that Apparently he uh he was making moves on the sexual assault prevention lady. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he admitted mean. to it. He admitted to yeah, it. That's he's unbelievable. he's now defending
1: that it was just consensual. Defense? That's that's his whole defense. But um we were the won't last person to make a move on. Jesus Yeah, I don't, um, More yeah and four football teams. Cause I, I'm pretty sure her story had to do with um, a football team, um, in what her yeah. experience was, a and that's of, why she goes and talks to football Danvers, teams.
0: She spoke to them. She was like, honestly, great lady, powerful story, uh, you know, cool stuff to hear. Yeah. As
2: far as Mel Tucker team. ultimate
1: scumbag.
0: And then you get this Dude. scumbag
2: in here. Mm-hmm.
1: So married. Um, yeah. Married with kids. Mel, uh, makes it worse, but we, we don't have to get into that. There's more, there's more, you know, there's teams that actually can play football. Um, One of them is not in East Lansing, but beach to a point you made um, about Michigan, you know, seeing what JJ can do in games that might not be huge implication or huge, you know, big matchups, there are throws and there are plays and this happens more often in college because you know you might play, uh, you know, a UNLV in the NFL. There really aren't any, you know, throwaway games because there's great athletes on on every on both sides of the ball for every team. But there are throws, there are runs, there are reads that quarterbacks will show you. No matter if it if you're playing against Alabama or you're playing against Southern Mississippi. And it doesn't make a difference because on that play, on that read, on that throw, you were just better. And nobody could have – it wouldn't have made a difference whether you put out, you know, the 2001 Ravens or it was the, you know, 2022 UC Davis squad. So to that, you know, to that point, like me and Marty were talking about earlier, there's this great um, recent – my most recent Twitter follow uh, this this guy that follows Notre Dame. He does a film breakdown on on a lot of the plays from from Notre Dame games. And Sam Hartman made a throw to great House. It was our first or second touchdown, and it was an absolute dime, right over in between the safety and the linebacker on just a skinny little post seam to the end zone with not much of a window and he breaks down the play and what the receiver did to kind of open up that window. But yeah, the window was almost non-existent. It doesn't matter who was out there on defense that that was a throw, you know, that, that pitch and catch would have been completed because Sam Hartman was better than whoever you would have put on the field against them. So like it you can't, especially in the Heisman, whether, whether you're talking polls or not, like, Oh, they haven't played anyone. But in terms of the Heisman, I don't think you can discredit. If you're really watching the film, which anyone voting on the Heisman should be, they should be watching all these games. They shouldn't miss a single one. doesn't matter what the matchup is. It's inexcusable. It, if you're playing UNLV and he makes a throw that is incredible and, you know, to the, to the effect that I'm talking about, like that counts. It counts because sometimes you're just better than everyone else. And it doesn't make a difference. Who's guarding you. It's like that, like in basketball, some basketball guys, when they get just insanely hot, it's like, it doesn't matter if Kobe was on me or if no one was guarding me, like that shot is going in. You just feel it. Like there are plays and especially in these first few weeks, when you're playing these sad sack teams, it's like, Yeah, you'll beat him whether you play well or not. But if you're talking Heisman, sometimes a guy is making plays that are just better than everyone else. So, you know, I haven't seen too much of JJ so far this year, but Sam Hartman's got a couple of them. Sam Hartman's made a couple throws against shit teams that it wouldn't have made a difference. But it's like, well, that throw was fit in so perfectly that if you put in you know the 2009 Alabama secondary back there. That ball is still in the numbers of his receivers. So like, I whatever the schedule is when it gets down to you know playoff ranking or like picking a team to go, and you're looking strength of schedule. I don't think strength of schedule matters as much for the Heisman. Like if you're balling out, especially from the quarterback position, that you can't take away from special plays because it is just it it you. you Special plays, especially from the quarterback, it it doesn't make a difference who's on the other side of the ball. It really doesn't. Does it mean more if it's a great team? Maybe a little bit.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it
1: doesn't matter is my point.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, I think that's where you get these guys who have the crazy stats. They almost get them padded a little bit in these first couple games where, I mean, I remember, like, watching, like, Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, like, those teams just destroying teams early on so they're definitely nice they're definitely confidence boosters for people to look out but like I don't look at a guy like Shador Sanders and one think this consistency of this caliber of play will continue and then two I think we see a team decline like more so what I get interested in is like the like the margin of disparity you see between a performance in year x versus year y like if your running back stats are not that like off the charts, you prob- compared to winners of pass, like why, why should you be there? What, what was, what was it compared to the next guy at the running back position? Were you really having that special of a year or was everyone kind of right around these numbers? Your team was just a little bit better and you had a couple more touchdowns. So it's interesting. I'm a huge believer in, you know, there's five guys invited Four of them are from top five teams. Then they always have the oddball out who had a great season. You know, they had the stats. They could have had the moment, but they lost two games and were never really in contention. So, and it's so early. It's so early. Like, we're talking about J.J. McCarthy and a run offense team. Like, he will probably have six more straight of these kind of games until we get to Penn State. Then it's, okay, what can he do out of the play action? Can he then have that kind of game where he's – Going to have seventy percent completion, but it's going to go for three hundred yards, and he's pushing the ball downfield and extending that Penn State defense, so he can run the ball and ultimately come out with a huge victory. So, those are those are the games ultimately. But I agree with your point. Like, you, you, the the defense doesn't make too much of a difference, especially early on when you're like just getting out there and ready to play. It's like, wow, this is sheer talent. I think Shador is a prime example of that.
1: Yeah. So one guy I wanted to talk about, and I think this, this pool is too deep and he's just not quite in a position to, to shake that up. But on Saturday night and it like, I'll say this Ohio state was my biggest worry as a Notre Dame fan coming into the season two and a half weeks in it's USC now. USC is really scary, more scary than Ohio State has looked to me from the vantage of having to play both. That Zach Branch kid on USC on Saturday night brings back a punt, his second punt so far. No one even came close to touching him on Stanford. No one even came close, and the coverage wasn't even that bad. During the broadcast, I couldn't tell you who it was. Drew a Devin Hester comparison. And while my immediate, like, hater mentality or, like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about mentality tried to kick in, it's his third game playing post high school football. And it didn't even upset me as a guy that believes Devin Hester, you know, as a Bears fan, like what we, what he was and, and first ballot Hall of Famer, this, whatever. Like, I, and I think Brady Quinn also a couple weeks ago after his game one said he has not seen a player look like Reggie Bush since Reggie Bush. And that's coming from a guy that played against Reggie. And, dude, the, the kid is unreal. And the nation is going to see more of him as they start playing better teams. But, God, that kid is really starting to scare me as a as a fan of a team that's going to have to play them pretty soon
2: yeah any any of those teams that just have unbelievable speed that's just something you can't match in college you know what i mean the i mean that you you can pick uh the alabama team a few years ago with like devontae smith and waddle and stuff but like that game-changing speed because you know that your secondary is just going to be at such a disadvantage because it's just a couple of kids you know what I mean whereas the NFL these guys are these guys are pro cornerbacks that can actually keep up with the speed whereas you're starting some like Cam Hart type kid that's just trying to keep up with some NFL speed Devin Hester type kid and that's why he's open 30 yards down the field by 15 yards you know what I mean so yeah that's that's interesting I haven't seen Branch play yet but I'll have to to keep an eye out for them.
0: I'm interested for when they play a real defense. I really
2: am. Um,
0: Because those are what we see, to your point, with the the Alabamas, with those talent and the Ohio States of years. Ohio States,
2: yeah.
0: All right, week one, we're literally just going to skull fuck you. And you cannot guard on this field. And we're going to show you that. I do think it gets a little more interesting when you do play a higher caliber caliber team that has a secondary that can hold on for a second longer in a pass rush. who can get there almost a second faster. So I don't really know when that comes for them is Notre Dame, that team on October 14th, where we could see that good defense, maybe stall them a little bit. They play Arizona state, Colorado, in arizona before then so um i still have to see some
1: athletes in colorado
0: colorado's got the athletes and i think they have the speed so uh what we'll see how that you know maybe we'll see travis hunter just mirroring uh branch across the field that'd be pretty nuts that Um, would be
1: oh my god dude
0: that would be so great for the game genuinely really excited but i am excited when you get kind of a little bit of a pass rush going and get these quarterbacks feeling a little less comfortable. I I don't even know if like Washington has a good defense. I think that's the problem when you get into these Pac 12 and Big 12 teams. Honestly, the defense isn't that great. Uh, These stats mean a lot, but any given game, you could kind of spin your wheels for a little bit, find yourself down seven and kind of scrambling. So we'll see if they keep it up. I do think they're a a better, more well oiled machine than last year. So um, hopefully they just don't have turmoil with a team like Utah and can actually get it done. But They've had their numbers. So who says they kind of won't have it, have that again uh, when they play on October
1: 21st. Dude. Yeah. And Caleb Williams hasn't even had to lift one of his painted fingers yet. Like dude, the fact, the fact that they're playing like, and Stanford's a joke, like Stanford really is a joke. And it, it, breaks my heart that somehow Notre Dame found a way to lose we them lost to it last year. <laughs> but the the fact and I, what was it like 10-7 that game or something like that? It's we 13 to 10 what, or something. Um it it is really terrible what happened to the Stanford Cardinal program. Um after basically post McCaffrey they have been complete fucking dog shit. And just seeing USC and Stanford two teams that Notre Notre Dame plays every single year and have been formidable opponents to Notre Dame at at many times um, Stanford more so than USC in the last, basically since uh, the Bush era, but uh, the Reggie Bush era, not George, George W. Um, But uh, (laughs) yeah, but um, seeing them as like 40 point dogs to USC is like dude shut it down like shut it down like the fall off of a program like that is and how fast it it came like they went from grabbing top recruits across the west coast and Stanford being a landing spot for a lot of great talent and i know they they still are competing sometimes at the top of other sports in division 1 college athletics like they're one of those programs that will win national championships and something every single year but their the capital one cup is a sham like capital one cup good call. seeing yeah. them as such a big dog in conference to a team like usc and i know usc's better but like that's what makes me sad they're really the one team that hasn't kept up with like the the roar of the pac12 like it's lowly Stanford, who you would think would be one of the teams that would be growing with the Pac-12 in terms of competitiveness, and they're just a freaking joke. And they got skull fox, like to use your verbiage, they got absolutely bop.
0: Easier for them either. I don't. So we'll see how that turns out. Um, one game I did want to ask you guys about, kind of going into this week. Um, we've kind of talked about the SEC, not too great, uh, kind of in, especially in non-conference performances here, we have an intriguing inter-conference battle where Tennessee is actually going to go to Florida. Now I've been on record saying, I don't think the Gators will win a single SEC game, except for that Vandy game. That they have at home The line's only six and a half. Is that kind of a rat line? What do we think here? Cause it's I've- a
2: thousand percent a rat line. 'Cause at Florida too, opening up conference play, that Florida's Florida. I know they're not like good, but it's always hard to go into somebody else's house and beat the shit. Like, you know what I mean? You can you pull out wins and every, everything on the road, but like to just beat the brakes off somebody, you know, like Tennessee beating Florida by like seventeen points, like that's still gonna be hard to do, even with the uh the statue Graham Mertz back there for the Gators, but
0: is seven really beating the brakes off though? Like, I just feel like they might handle this team. To just, I just think they're so much better than
2: Florida. And Florida looked. Yeah. Up, isn't it? Well, if you and if you think along or in that same vein, the line on the Notre Dame NC State game was seven, and at it was kind of looking, looking, uh, yeah, at its, it's same exact scenario. You're like, damn, Notre Dame's the much better team, but they're on the road, could be a tough spot, and I mean. Notre Dame ended up blowing the brakes off. The talent showed yeah. in the second Someone half. Someone who's appeared on this podcast
1: tried convincing me that uh, that was a trap line and NC State would cover. Um, his name is Ray. He's an uh, yeah. Illinois fan, and I implored him to not take that bet, but to ride the Irish as they were just so much better. And, you know, if you know ball, you know that he did not listen to me. So I hope he lost every cent he had on NC State. He did, he but. Great point that it is almost an identical situation because Tennessee is going in as what everyone thinking and Tennessee and Florida included. I think, I think everyone knows that Tennessee is the better team. It is tough to play in the swamp, but. I a good
2: coach. Get your three
1: points. Your three points is built into that spread, right? So you give them the three, are they still better by a touchdown I would say yes, and I would say that I don't know. And I know it's a huge rivalry, which probably also has other implications in the spread, more so than just the three you get for being the home team. But yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, if if you're taking Tennessee, make sure to get the hook, the six and a half, because I see that it's out there.
0: The other thing we're not even discussing is they have a legitimate shot to kind of run with their side,
2: so to say, of the SEC. Yeah, Is that, against uh, Georgia, for sure. I Georgia, I mean,
1: Georgia's so, Georgia,
2: but I think they're not like out of – it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to drop a game. You know what I mean? I could see yeah. Tennessee knocking them off.
0: I just especially think with the fall of – we've seen Bama and – and uh shoot who was it who LSU LSU in top two weeks, kind of shit the bet a little bit against great non-conference opponents. So if I'm Tennessee, I'm kind of thinking, hey, this could be a great chance for us to solidify us as for sure the number two SEC team in town and maybe make that game against Georgia, which is at home for Tennessee this year, a little bit more enticing um, and end up you know winning the, winning the sec ultimately so i do like them six and a half this weekend marty i think you're absolutely right you do got to get the six and a half. and not trusting them seven seven and a half but kind of that's really it as far as interesting games this weekend yeah uh,
2: not not that great of a really state. sad
0: really washington at the disgrace, michigan state
2: lsu mississippi states within ten, but like yeah
0: but, and then Colorado, Colorado State. I'm just excited to watch that Colorado team every week. I really am. Yeah. For some reason, Vegas doesn't respect their spreads. Uh, North Carolina, Minnesota should be an interesting one. I think just another opportunity to see you know, two non-conference Power Five teams play each other just to see where the worst half of the Big Ten side sits up on. But other than that, pretty quiet slate
2: this weekend. Especially um, with Michigan State in free fall, too. Yeah. I think they're hosting Washington. Yeah, it's at East Lansing. Yeah.
0: Sounds like we're ultimately just waiting for that week five showdown between the should we,
2: should we just touch on
1: one of the most entertaining home and homes in recent memory? We just just uh just touched North Carolina out there. But the App State, North Carolina home and home, the last yeah. two years have been two of the craziest games we have seen especially not even what put fcs fbs aside put conference aside like those were two unbelievable games overtime games the just i mean app state man tip your cap
2: and that's what we talked about yeah the the transfer portal stuff there's kids that are going to app state to play you know what i mean they're getting these kids from these power fives and you're able to narrow the talent gap, and you can compete with the North Carolinas. But I do. The fact that you brought that up is pretty funny because the first bet I made going into the season last year was North Carolina minus three. And I was just, I watched the whole, every single fucking minute of that game last year. And I, that was like one of the greatest games I've ever watched. But, and North Carolina still won me my bet too, which was great. But I wrote App State plus 18. Too, too much, too much.
0: But those interstate battles, you know, they're Mm -hmm. fun. And that's it's really a cool kind of makes UFC or UCF and Florida look like idiots for not being able to get their kind of fun home and home going. Um, That just shows you kind of give the respect to, you know, your your smaller in-state school, do a home and home. It can make for intriguing games, you know, even though uh, North Carolina won both of those. Those are still statement games for App State, uh, especially within their
1: state. Uh, yep. and just you know
0: kind of on the college football landscape in general so
1: yeah I, I I know we expressed this sentiment a little bit last week, but overall some disappointment really with these out with the early the first month of the season, like there should be more there needs to be more in terms of marquee matchups and 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 it do, you don't have to be playing, you know, a top ten team to do that. It it doesn't mean you're play, you have to play one of the best teams in the country to give the fans and to give the, you know, college football nation something to watch and something to be interested in. But there's so many so many shitters, dude. Like so many games or am I even going to waste the energy of typing that channel into my TV and get that only in the if you, rotation? Only if you bet on it. Only if yeah. you bet on it. That's yeah. It. You're, they're putting the ball on our, our court to just bet on them because there's yeah. no yeah. actual enjoyment. I, it's going to be, be yeah. I now think now it will be have, less a two, Beach. Now that you
0: don't have, like, anything to lose, so to say. Like, next year, okay, cool. Bama's sitting at 10. They just do their job and they're still playing for a national title at some point. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, my God, we need to at the it's very point. least win the SEC title. And it's, it's kind a, of yeah. playing those games. Texas really had nothing to lose because they've been at that level. They needed that statement game to get up there. So now I think you'll start to see more of it where the big guys up top are like, hey, we'll play this. Um, if we win, we solidify ourselves as, like, you know, the best. And we have that statement game. Um, if not, hey, we still have the whole season to play and we're still going to be playing for a national title. So I think yeah. we'll see, start to see
2: more of that. It's almost like the boxing sentiment where, like, they're, they're all so scared to fight anybody because they don't want to have a loss on their, their resume. And it's like they're, like, almost tarnished because of it. And I feel like especially during the, uh, the BCS era um, when there was only two teams that could play for it. And now even with the four – these people, like these teams, like the Ohio States and the whoever's, the Alabamas and stuff, like why should we be playing a top 10, top 20 team when if we beat up on the Citadel, it, it doesn't affect us either either way. Like we're still going to be ranked number two, number one. You know what I mean?
0: I do think it goes a long way with recruits. I don't know if you caught that at the end of the game where you saw that guy for Texas telling like, Bama's got that, all their recruits all lined up. I mean, if you're a recruit, four or five star that's kind of a game you want to go to, see what this culture is all about, see what the atmosphere is all about. You have a team like Texas who's joining the SEC, come in. They have guys saying, Hey, come to Texas, come to Texas. So I think that has always been a big part of it, especially when you, you know, can get that game either on their home field and just, you know, pull from that talent pool, whether it's like a Texas, a Florida or like Louisiana, Georgia, California, like those big high school recruiting states. So I I hope to see more of that. I really do, because that that to me is like what's the most exciting part is as a Michigan fan, I talked about two games really on my schedule and then hopefully like a, a Big Ten championship and the two steps of the playoff to look forward to as well. But really all I have circled right now is, I mean, three if you want to count Michigan State, but not super excited for that this year. So I hope to see more of that moving forward that just gives the fans a little bit more excited. Um, obviously, with the conferences beefing up a little bit, we'll probably start to see some more impact games come around week three, week four. But uh, as for these first couple games, I'm really expecting a lot of these next couple years for programs to go out uh, and schedule big name games, big name programs
1: against each other. So we'll see. It definitely, definitely an interesting point there with kind of the recruiting facet um yeah because if you're playing a a cupcake schedule those those aren't that's not why someone goes to Alabama or goes to Ohio State you go to Ohio State to play Michigan you know or you go to Ohio State to play Clemson in the national championship or Alabama in a national championship and my first exposure to that was when Notre Dame had secured their best class like ever when they went to the national championship against bama and then they got the doors blown off them and like four or five of their top recruits flipped. They're like, you know, maybe we had this wrong. Like yeah. this is this was really their first big game, like their biggest challenge. Maybe I'd rather go to Alabama, because look what look what they did in that big game. They beat the brakes off where I'm gonna go. So there is that where you do get, you know, I think it does positively impact recruiting when you're scheduling these tougher games. But the NCAA and the college football playoff has kind of made it difficult. And I it's it's understandable. If you know that you can't lose a game to win a national championship, then why would you schedule, you know, a home and home except to make a couple more million dollars in you know in ticket sales or you know, merch or whatever it is for like a, a Notre Dame, Ohio State home and home. But it's like, yeah, we can't lose a game or we can maybe lose one game and still need to win our conference championship to have a chance for at this thing. Let's minimize our risk. So Yeah, like do you
0: really expect yeah. a team like Tennessee to go out and schedule anyone in the in non-conference when they got to play Bama, they have to play Georgia, and they have to play Florida. I mean, those are they're the quantity is certainly there and the quality for them is certainly there. it, it makes no sense. It's like why do they need to play Penn State? Why should they play USC to start the season? It's like hopefully they'll see those teams down the line when it matters most. They got to focus on playing three, four really tough road and home games throughout the year. Um, and as a Michigan man, I just pointed to two. So I, I get that. Um, hopefully we just see more of it though. Like if you have that, then it's more of a chance to beat up on those guys while beating someone else from another conference. Cause you do kind of get that conference hierarchy thing going uh when you do put the best from the SEC against the best from like the ACC or something. Uh, I know in basketball, they always do like the ACC Big Ten Challenge. That's a great way early on in the season to see how are what's considered, many consider the two best conferences in basketball over the last decade. How are they going to stack up against each other, pretty much from preseason rankings, one to 10, one to 14. So uh, something like that could start to exist. Uh, yeah. you know, in the that would, couple of years, which is which yeah, that'd be, be cool. Exciting.
2: That's a great point, Beach. That I always do love that ACC Big Ten. And you, it, they they keep like the scoreboard of like, oh yeah, yeah Rutgers, Rutgers yeah. pulled it off against uh, Florida State. That was a big win. For it's the like that was a one. We yeah. needed that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would that would be pretty cool if they had like Week Two, like Big Ten SEC Challenge in college football, where you're just getting. But the yeah, the college football scheduling is so weird too. Where it's like, oh, we just scheduled uh, Ohio State in twenty fifty. It's like Jesus Christ, dude! Like, yeah, yeah. can you <laughs> not like?
0: <laughs> I love when, do when they not, do that like, flip for perennial programs, and they don't even end up to be good by the time that exactly.
2: Like yeah, this like yeah. Florida, Utah. Like Utah probably scheduled Florida when Florida was damn good. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's I mean, another they part. Even They're scheduled so up
0: on their schedule. They're so far
1: in advance that, like, you know, you're the the head coach. You're scheduling a home and home with a team that at the time is top ten, and by the time you're playing them, their head coach was just trying to have phone sex with a rape survivor. You know, like that's how far in advance these games are being scheduled. Like, and they make the big like the big marketing and 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 pub about them right when they're scheduled. They're like, oh, like I'm this Ohio State. Uh, Home and home with Notre Dame. That was like 2015. It was like, yo, and, uh, you know, I was like, just finished freshman year of high school. And they're like, yo, in 2023, we're going to be, Ohio State's going to be coming to town. 2022, we're going to be out out in Columbus. And, you know, some programs, it won't matter. They'll always be there. But the the bureaucracy in the college football scheduling is definitely another part that kind of weakens the. Just the product that we could have, because I think if the right people were making the decisions for college football, there would be no if, ands, or but like it would be it would be bigger than the NFL. I think that the only thing keeping it from being like bigger than the NFL, and this is from someone that loves both but feels a certain way about college, like if they did it right, if they figured out the recipe, and I know it's it's changing and and they're I think they're moving in the right direction here, but like If you were having those those crossovers or those conference challenges, and there there wasn't as much just vying on one game until the end of the season, like especially the whole dynamic between an early loss versus a late loss, meaning more, and that's how it's always been. Like as soon as the the 12th teamer comes into effect, yeah there's really no reason for teams to not be scheduling those games. There's no reason for the NCAA as a whole or conferences as a whole to not start looking into, all right, we're going to do this with a conference. We're not going to go out as a program on our own and schedule a home and home with another good, uh, another good opponent. But as a conference, we're going to start playing these games perennially or this year this year with the Big Ten, we're going to do the ACC crossover, and then the year after we'd have the Pac-12 crossover. You know what I mean? And start didn't... doing these kind of things. It'd be you. There's so there's so much there. There's so much more that can be done that isn't LSU versus Grambling State.
0: Yeah, and hopefully that eliminates, especially for the SEC. I know they're notorious for kind of having those Week Ten games against the Citadel and High Point, whatever that may be. Um, Michigan kind of caught. Texas on a really good slide here, they've kind of been irrelevant. And now they have them coming to Ann Arbor next year. That's in pretty much probably, (laughs) you know, two top 10 teams next year swearing off in Ann Arbor where it's 12 team playoff, you know, you're going to get their best, but Hey, guess what? Neither team's going to be dead in the water afterwards. And hopefully that'll lead to some encouragement where, Hell, those could be two top four teams based on how this year's going right now. So, could be very interesting. Uh, I'm excited to see more about it. On the flip side of that, Michigan in 2025 plays at Oklahoma, who doesn't not look very good under Brent Venables. I know we kind of talked touched on that in our first episode. So, uh, we'll need to see more out of the Sooners coming here soon. But it's I'm excited. Those matchups get me excited. They do, and that's what led to our initial discussion about how the playoffs should change, why it should change. Uh, to kind of get those cool matchups going, not only in neutral sites, but also on college campuses where they might not normally be going.
1: Yeah, so overall, week the slate isn't looking great. Well, I think we can wrap here, but week four, man, we got Ole Miss, Bama. We got Oregon State, Washington State. We got the granddaddy of them all. Ohio State, Notre Dame, which is set to be even bigger than it was last year, which really says something. Um, Iowa State, Penn State, we, Colorado, Oregon, Florida State, Clemson. Like, that'll be fun. I'm. We'll know a lot more about these teams, too, by then, which will be really cool to
0: kind of actually start getting into a little bit. Like, who's a contender? Who's a pretender? Who had us fooled? Who's legit? uh, Sam Hartman. So uh, I'm excited. I
1: might take that Friday off just to kind of mentally prepare, get ready for Saturday. Go. Yeah, and just kind of, yeah. But
0: well, we will this week. Yeah, it like, but um, we'll see if these Heisman guys continue to impress, and we'll just. I'm excited. Another week, another week to gamble, make a can't lose parlay.
1: Oh yeah, yep. last thing. Uh, our very own Brendan Beachler making the Splitting Gaps inaugural showing out on BR Betting this week. Congrats, brother. Star of the, the show. Long come up. Uh, how many beers? How many beers before that? So
0: many beers. Uh, <laughs> I honestly lost count. I lost my Sharpie for the
2: I love how the video cropped out all the Miller Lite that was just sitting on the table. Yeah, oh,
0: there was just copious amounts of that. I, so I had just, I had the audio off and then I was sitting there praying. And I was like, oh, my God, they're going to fuck me here. And then, what do you know, uh, just an ill-advised pass gets thrown and the Ducks are taking it for six back the other way. So cashed a nice little, I think it was a five-leg, little uh, little 15 to make 442. So lots of, lots of juice on that one. So shout out the Ducks. I'm going to keep pulling for you guys. So keep covering.
2: Good stuff. Good stuff. Oh,
0: Suck it down. Shit, pressure. Hey, it's intercepted. Let's go. It was also picked by yes. Jeremy Prosser. And he's yes. got a turn for him. Yes. 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 Who do you think? Pressure. Oh, I am. And the oh interception of yes. Chaos. We have arrived. We have arrived. You're saying also now Kurt Cousins had a good year. So Quavo gets cooking. Get the ball.